morning again, Oceanside Sanctuary. It is so good to gather again here on Sunday morning. We are well into the month of August now. The weeks just seem to be going by. I know that this is a difficult time for everybody as we continue to be distanced and separated from each other. Uh, but today we have an opportunity to gather together here across Facebook and across YouTube and encourage each other and see each other and worship together pray together and attend to the Word of God together so that God might meet us in some way this morning in our worship so that we can be encouraged and stretched and have our faith grown. And so today, I want to just begin a new series here at the Oceanside Sanctuary, a new series that I'm calling Encountering God, because I want us to explore in the Old Testament and the New Testament over the next several weeks what it looks like when the gospel comes to people in those moments when they begin to experience faith for the first time. Now, I say the gospel, but we're going to spend a lot of time over the next several weeks in the Old Testament because what I really want us to begin to understand is that the gospel that we tend to think of strictly in terms of Jesus and his, his crucifixion and his resurrection is actually present in the Old Testament as well. And so as we are able to recognize how that gospel is translated into the characters of the Old Testament, I think that we can begin to see how it also translates into our own life. So I'm excited about this new series. I hope that you are too. I just want to ask that as we begin today, that you would say a quick prayer with me as we enter into reading through this passage in the book of Genesis. Would you join me? God, we thank you so much again for today and this opportunity for us to come together. We ask that even though we are distanced and separated from each other at this time, that you would join us together in spirit as we worship you, that you would help us to learn how to recognize how we are encountering you in our daily lives, how you're drawing us closer to having a deeper and richer and more robust faith, and how that is empowering us in our daily lives to follow after the work that you are doing in our community. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today what I want to do is start out with our first story of encountering God, and you will find it in Genesis chapter 15. Some of you know this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture, partly because it really sort of sets the framework for what an encounter with God looks like throughout Scripture. And this is, of course, the story of Abram and his covenant with God. We're not going to read the entire covenant today. We're going to read the first six verses of Genesis chapter 15, because there is a really crucial uh, encounter that Abram has with God in this passage that gets repeated over and over and over again throughout Scripture. And it becomes really important in the New Testament as well for the New Testament authors who keep pointing back to this moment. So this is one of those sort of defining moments of our faith. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 together. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we're just going to go ahead and put these words up on the screen for you. Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1, says this. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram, for I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, 
You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. No one but one from your own loins shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, Look toward heaven and count the stars, if you're able to count them. And then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he, that is Abram, believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now, there are a couple of things that I just want to point out in this passage that I think can be incredibly helpful, but it's important to know that this is not the very beginning of Abram's journey. If you recall back in Genesis chapter 12, a couple chapters before this, and many, many years before this particular encounter, God comes to Abram and he gives Abram a vision and says, come out of your homeland, come out of your country, that's Ur of the Chaldeans, and he says, Come out of this place into a new land that I will give you, and I will give you a great nation. I will turn you into a great people. And so we begin to follow Abram's journey from Genesis chapter 12 to chapter 13 to chapter 14, and here we pick it up in chapter 15, and something really interesting happens. Throughout those first several chapters, 12, 13, and 14, Abram has yet to actually speak to God. Of course, God comes to Abram and speaks to Abram. God gives Abram instructions in Genesis chapter 12 to leave his homeland. God gives Abram other instructions as well throughout those first couple of chapters of Abram's story. But here in Genesis chapter 15 is the very first time that we see Abram actually speaking back to God, God's self. And so I just want to turn back there real quick again, Genesis 15 and point that out to you. Genesis 15 verse 1 again says this, after these things, that is after all of the little previous adventures that Abram has had up to this point, says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward, or your reward shall be great. Now, that's very similar to the word that God brings to Abram in Genesis chapter 12. And it's also very similar to the word that God brings to Abram at the end of Genesis chapter 13. In both of those previous texts, God comes to Abram and says, Hey, listen, I've got a plan for you. I have a promise for you. I have a vision for your future. And he makes Abram a big promise. So he does the same thing here in Genesis 15. Do not be afraid. You can trust me. I will be your shield and your reward shall be very great. But this time, unlike Genesis chapter 12, unlike the end of Genesis chapter 13, Abram speaks back to God for the first time. And here's what he says. And you can see that with the phrase beginning in verse 2, but Abram said. So God comes to Abram, delivers the promise, and then Abram's response is, but God, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And so what we see happening here is for the first time, Abram begins to acknowledge his concerns. He begins to acknowledge his fears. He begins to acknowledge his skepticism or even his doubts. Years have passed since he was first called by God. Years have passed since he left his home country, since he traveled into Egypt, since he got into wars with neighboring tribes. 
Years have passed since he split with his brother Lot and their family, and they, they sort of went to their own corners of this particular area of the ancient Near East. Years have passed, and Abram is beginning to wonder if these promises that he heard the first time and the second time are really true. And so here, the third time that God begins to articulate his promises to Abram, Abram finally opens his mouth and speaks up and says, Oh God, where are you? What's going on? How can I know that this is true for I don't have any children? You've said that I'm going to be a great nation, but how can that be possible if I don't have children of my own? I want you to notice what happens next because In verse 2, Abram says to God, Oh God, where are you? What will you give me? I have no children. And the answer is nothing. You see, God doesn't respond to Abram yet. Abram finally opens his mouth. He finally has the courage to express his doubts and his concerns. And there's a big silence between verses 2 and verses 3. God simply doesn't respond. And I love that little, that little feature, that little space between verse 2 and verse 3, that space where even though Abram was willing to put his heart out there, put his doubts out there, God doesn't respond. And the reason I love it, of course, is because I've had that experience in my life, and I'll bet you have too. That experience where you, you really believe that God has good things for you. You believe that God is leading you. You believe that God has called you. And yet you have doubts and you have concerns, you have anxieties, you have fears, and you finally speak them, you finally articulate them, you finally pray out those anxieties, and God says nothing. And there you are, stuck in this moment of existential dread and doubt and wondering why it is that God has said nothing in response to your fears. What happens next in verse 3, I think, is incredibly instructive for us. Verse 3, we see a repeat of the same phrase that we saw at the beginning of verse 2. And Abram said. And so again, Abram, in response to the silence of God, in response to hearing nothing from his first complaint, Abram is forced to make a decision. Does he shut up? Does he keep his doubts to himself? Does he go back to his tent and go back to bed and simply let it go, or does he press in? And here, I think, is why we see that Abram is one of the great prophets of the Jewish and Christian tradition, because Abram doesn't shut his mouth. He doesn't go back to bed. Abram presses in, verse 3, and Abram said, "'You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir.'" Abram doesn't content with himself with simply letting his doubts or his fears or his concerns or frustrations go. He presses into God. He repeats his complaint. He repeats his skepticism. He insists that God give him an answer. And what we see happening is that God, in fact, does answer. Verse 4, But the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, No one but your very own issue, or maybe in your Bible it says, someone from your loins will be your heir. And so what we see happening here is that 
in response to Abram pressing in, in response to Abram insisting that God speak to him, God responds, and God responds in an incredible way that I think reveals something really helpful to us when we are in the same space. Verse 5, he brought him outside, and he said, Look towards the heaven and count the stars if you're able to. And then he said to him, So yet shall your descendants be. This is just one of my favorite scenes in the Bible where where Abram is contending with God, where he's wrestling with this question of whether or not he can believe God's promises, whether or not he can believe what God has, has envisioned for him. And God, in response to Abram's promises, he takes him outside in the middle of the night and he says, look up at the sky, look at the stars, count the stars if you can, and so shall your descendants be. Now, God says something very similar in Genesis chapter 13. At the end of Genesis chapter 13, after you know, Abram and Lot are engaged in this sort of wild uh, a series of, of struggles with local tribes, and, and then Abram meets Melchizedek, this mysterious figure from, from the book of Genesis. Uh, after all of that, God reminds Abram the second time of his promise to him. Only in, in Genesis chapter 13, at the end of that chapter, the way that God articulates his promise is he says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And so that's a, a very similar image. There's you know dust, which is, of course, impossible to count, numerous, plentiful, a multitude, in other words. Abram's offspring are going to be enormous. But this time, when God communicates that same vision to Abram, he does it in a loftier way. Instead of saying, look down into the dirt, that's what your offspring will be like, he says, look up to the stars. God's vision for Abram here in Genesis chapter 15 is a higher vision. It's a loftier vision. It's a grander vision. It's an awe-inspiring and wondrous vision. And maybe because of that, maybe because the nature of this vision is so awe-inspiring, the, the, the Hebrew scholar Robert Alter says that it's a, a didactic display, that, that God uses the heavens as a kind of incredible cosmic PowerPoint to literally teach Abram that he is worth his word. Because, of course, part of what God is saying is not just that you know, Abram's offspring will be plentiful. He is saying that, but, but sort of the subtext of this vision is God created those stars. God created that dust. And Abram, if God can create the heavens, if God can create an infinite sky full of infinite stars, then of course God can deliver offspring to you. Maybe because that vision is so grand, maybe because it happens in the middle of the night, maybe because this is a kind of prophetic construction that casts Abram as a kind of prophet, somehow in this moment, some way, Abram is able to catch this vision. And it says at the end of our little passage here in verse 6, Abram believed God, and God credited or reckoned it to him as righteousness. And, and that's it. That's, that's where we have that moment of faith. And when we think about encounters with God, I think we often think about those, 
moments of faith, those sparks of belief that we encounter that sort of seem to come from nowhere and seem to be completely uncontrollable. We can't manufacture that moment of faith. We can't conjure up that moment of faith. We either have it or we don't. And because that's what faith looks like, I I think we tend to think that faith is something that just happens elusively that we have no part in. But I think what this story of Abram tells us is that Abram does have a part in this moment of faith. And that part is the entire process that he goes through. Because, of course, before this, before Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, before Abram is able to, to have this spark of belief, this moment of trust in response to God's great vision, before that, he heard God's call in Genesis chapter 12, and he responded. He left his hometown. And then he entered into the wilderness, and in the wilderness, he experienced a famine. And because of that famine, he escaped into Egypt and Egypt had plenty of food, but Egypt turned out to be a dangerous place. And and Abram and Sarah ended up getting into a bunch of trouble in Egypt and experienced all kinds of trials. And so they left Egypt. And after that, they came back to Canaan. And when they entered back into Canaan, they started having trouble with the local tribes there. And they got caught up in all kinds of tribal battles and tribal wars and tribal politics. And then after that, Abram goes and he meets Melchizedek, this mysterious figure in the Old Testament who who's actually a foreshadowing of Christ, this priest king who comes out of nowhere and he gives Abram a blessing, the blessing of God. And after all of that, Abram stands outside of his tent in the middle of the night and says, God, where are you? And of course, that that God, where are you, is also a moment. It's a, a moment of doubt and frustration and dread and concern and fear that goes hand in hand with his moment of faith. But all of it is the result of this process that he has been walking through for years. And it's because he's willing to walk through it. It's because he's willing to follow after God's call. It's because he's willing to enter into the struggle of that process. And it's because, of course, finally here in Genesis 15, he's willing to open his mouth and utter his doubts and his frustrations and his fears that God meets him in a powerful way and he has that moment of faith. That faith might be a momentary encounter with God that turns us upside down, but it's always the result of a process. A process of us walking through the best that we possibly can and engaging in our lives faithfully and honestly and vulnerably and like Abram, transparently before God so that God can speak into our doubts and our concerns. I love the way that uh, the 20th century uh, Catholic priest Pierre Tellard de Chardin talked about this concept of a process. Uh, Pierre Tellard was not just a Jesuit Catholic priest, he was also a trained anthropologist and geologist and wrote some uh, provocative uh, stuff about encountering God and what it looks like to encounter God. And here's what he says about how our encounter with God is a part of a bigger process that we are a part of. He says this, Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything. 
to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet, it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. Now, I know, friends, that that part is hard. The, the part of, of walking through a long process of difficulty or instability or trial is, is the part that we so are frustrated with and are so tired of. At this time in our nation's history, it feels like we are a part of painful, difficult processes. But this word to us, I think, is God's word conveying to us the reality that no matter how crazy or chaotic or unstable or dangerous things might seem around us, God is there at work in that process. And until we're ready to wrestle with God, we may not encounter God in a way that transforms us to have faith and trust and enter into a life of peace and, yes, a life of righteousness in cooperation with God. Today, I want to ask you just three questions before I go. Number one, how are you experiencing that doubt, that skepticism, that frustration, that anxiety that Abram was experiencing? How is it that you're wrestling with not understanding how God is present in the processes of your life? Whatever it is, however you're experiencing those frustrations, those anxieties, it's okay. Doubt and anxiety and frustration are part of the life of faith. We do ourselves a great disservice when we pretend like those things aren't there in us. In fact, we need to express those things, especially to God in our life of faith. And that's my second question. How are you, like Abram, being called to press in to God in the midst of those doubts and fears and frustrations? How are you being called to ask God where are you in the midst of my difficulties? Where are you in the midst of our social upheaval? Where are you in the midst of a public health crisis? It's okay to ask those questions. In fact, it's necessary to ask those questions in your contention with God. And then number three, how is God demonstrating God's vision for your life? This is, of course, exactly what happens in Genesis chapter 15. God brings Abram outside of his tent, points him to the night sky and says, this is my vision for you and your life. And I think God does the same thing with us. I think God does the same thing with you. He may not take you outside your house in the middle of the night and point you to the sky, but in a million other ways, God is trying to give you a vision for what you are called to. And when we capture that vision, when we have a clear enough eye to see it, once we have admitted to our frustrations and our doubts, God is faithful to come and give us a clarity of vision that produces genuine faith. And that is what an encounter with God looks like, at least here in Genesis chapter 15. I wanna leave you with those questions Please feel free in the comments here on Facebook or YouTube 
to just type in your answers to those questions if you feel uh, led to do that, if you're feeling uh, courageous enough to share just your responses to those three questions. We'd love to hear it. And I want to encourage you to encourage each other in those comments. So as we are sharing those things, as we are being honest about where we're at in our faith, I want to also ask that you would encourage each other. Don't condemn each other or judge each other for having doubts, but rather encourage each other to begin to see God's vision for your lives. I want to end there today and just close with a word of prayer and ask that God would go with us as we continue uh, to press in to God's presence so that we might have our faith grown. Would you just pray with me? God, we thank you again for today and for this opportunity for us to come before you, to sit before your scriptures, to be uh, uh, impacted and affected by these stories of faith that we have inherited from such a, a long and deep tradition of chasing after you, of trying to understand you, of trying to wrestle with you, and, and ultimately of coming into a place of faith in our relationship with you. We ask that you would make that true for our lives, that each one of us individually would learn to come before you with our doubts, our concerns, our anxieties, and that you would reward us with a sense of your divine presence. Pray all this in Jesus' name.